one, the younger, which is Jacob. So to keep that in mind, again, as we move through this, this passage. Now, beginning here in chapter 26, we're going to see Isaac, uh, the promised son here. And you'll notice that Isaac really isn't like his father. He's not bold enough to really go and, and take on the five eastern kings. Remember, they had come and they had taken Abraham's nephew Lot. And so Abraham really took this on his own, he, he, this daring plan to rescue Lot. He wasn't a man of war. He wasn't a general, but he, he certainly routes the enemy. He takes his... Uh, Lot, his nephew, brings him back with all his possessions. Um, Isaac's not really that way at all. And then Isaac is not like his son, the con man, the shrewd one, as we'll see. Isaac's kind of like right in the middle of the road, again, kind of a real ordinary person. But his life shows us that God uses ordinary people to bring forth his will. And I believe that God will use you and me and and it, maybe it's just in your home to witness to your child, and they get saved, and they go on to be a Billy Graham, or, or they teach Sunday school and lead someone else to Christ that has an impact in, some, in, the, in the country's life or in a city's life. Or it, it's, it's amazing how God works. And so all of us need to identify with what's going on here and understand that God can use whoever he wants to do whatever he wants. And I believe God does amazing things, ordinary things, in his supernatural way in our world all the time. So it's through this person, Jacob, Mr. Con Man here. He has faith in God. He has lots to learn. We're going to learn uh, that he is just like his father, and his father, Isaac, is just like his father, which is who we're looking at tonight. We're looking at Isaac and Abraham, we're comparing Isaac's life to Abraham, but we see something similar in all of their lives, and they keep doing the same mistake over and over again. So I called this study tonight, Like Father, Like Son, because of the, these similarities between Isaac's life and his father's. We begin with a famine. If you remember, Abraham comes to the land that God calls and promises him, the Canaan, Leaves Ur, the Chaldees comes, and then there's a famine, remember? And he runs all the way to Egypt. So tonight, this is where we begin with a famine. Notice my first point here, famine in the covenant, verse 1, chapter 26. There was a famine in the land. Besides the first famine, there was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac, he went to, notice this, Abimelech, king of the Philistines. You've heard that before. In Gerir, we've heard that place before. Then the Lord appeared to Isaac, and he says, don't go to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. For to you and your descendants I give all these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father, and I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. There's that forever covenant. I will give to your descendants all these lands. There's the other part of the covenant, Abrahamic covenant. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. There's the, the outcome of God's covenant. God's desire is to use this chosen man, his, this chosen family for his sovereign work because from Abraham comes the Messiah, Jesus, the Jew, 
who is the Savior to the world. This is all part of God's wonderful plan of redemption. Verse 5, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge and my commandments, my statute, and my laws, so Isaac dwelt in Gerar. Now, it's been about 100 years since, uh, since his father left because of the famine. He left Canaan and went south all the way to Egypt. And, but the similarities in the story, even the name of the king here, Abimelech, which more than likely, we don't know, but we believe his name, um, Abimelech, was like Pharaoh of Egypt. Abimelech, the king would get this name. Maybe it was his son, the son of Abimelech, the king, when Abraham was alive. It's 100 years later. So it could be, but, but it's more likely that he's just the next king, the next king in line, Abimelech. But this time, the Lord warns Isaac not to go down to Egypt, but to live there in the land. And what we're seeing here in this repeat of this covenant, this Abrahamic covenant, is God is, again, passing the baton. He's, he's uh, taking the covenant, and, and it's going from Abraham fully, completely, land, descendants, and the blessing to Isaac. And it's going to go from Isaac to Jacob, and it's going to go from Jacob to Joseph. It's going to keep moving. We're going to see that as we look at the story here. But this repeating uh, thing in his life, the, just like father, just like son. Now, this is the first time that it's recorded in the scriptures that God speaks to Isaac. And he must have been stoked. I mean, he's, he's thrilled at what he's hearing. He remembers what his father told him. Remember, he was obedient. When his father Abraham asked him to come and lay himself on the altar, he, he's heard these things before. He, he knows God. He's a faithful man. And this blessing now is being transferred on him. So he's excited. He's hearing from the Lord. So for him, rather than just another recital of the same words, he's excited to hear him. This promise is coming to him. He is the promised son. He's, he's excited about who he is and, and this covenant now that comes to him. But it's in verse 5 that God explains one more important reason that he made that covenant again. It was Abraham's faithfulness. Notice verse 5, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge. Now, we've been studying his life for, since September so it's been six months or so we've been studying Abraham. Was Abraham always faithful? No. He, he stumbled. He struggled. He, he, he made mistakes. He lied to the king. He lied before the Lord. He, he, he was, you know, learning. He was walking and growing. Again, that's the important point here. But God here tells Isaac something special about his dad. He said, because your father obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statute, my laws. Now, we see that finally in his life when, after waiting 25 years for the promise of a son, God says, okay, I've given you a son. You're excited about your son. You know, 15 years after that birth of his son, now God says, I want you to give him back to me. And this is how I want you to give him back to me on the altar of sacrifice, which would have been something he would have been used to. And Abraham obeyed. That's the amazing thing. I was talking to somebody last night. I don't know how I could do that. How could you do that? But 
again, here in verse 5, God is saying to Isaac, your father obeyed. And, and I believe that's the, the place in which you can say that Abraham was fully surrendered to the Lord, totally obedient to my statutes, my laws, God says. And it was in chapter 22 that, that all of that took place. So this obedience. Now God is calling Isaac to the same obedience. So he's, he's saying that your father did this, and now I expect it of you. I've given you all the blessings. Now I expect you to be just as obedient as your father that did, uh, was. Now this is really interesting. And I've titled this section here, Following His Father's Footsteps. But notice here in verse 7. The men of the place asked about his wife, Isaac's wife. And he said, look what he said. She is my sister. Oops. So now Isaac's lying about his wife, Rebecca, just like Abraham lied about his wife, Sarah. He did it twice, you remember. Abraham did it twice. And here Isaac's doing the same thing. And notice why. For he was afraid to say, she's my wife. Because he thought, these men in this place are going to kill me for Rebecca because she's beautiful. So she must have been a beautiful woman. Everybody noticed her. Just like Sarah was a beautiful woman, these men had these beautiful wives, and they, they, they thought they were a goner because they thought the king in the land would come and, and kill them and take their wife. So she's my sister, he says there. Like father, like son. We're seeing the same thing. Even after hearing from God and being thrilled to hear God to pass on the, the baton, the, the blessing and all, Isaac's afraid. So he tries to pass his wife off as his sister. And by the way, Isaac is not a very good example of a husband, <laughs> as you can see here, because he's willing to risk Rebecca's purity. I mean, think about what he's saying. Men, we, we are the protector of our wives in every way. We're to lay our lives down for our wives. Very important for us to understand that, think it through, be prepared, all of those things. But here we have Isaac, who, who lies, and then he's, for his own personal protection, saving himself. It's just twisted. It's twisted, isn't it? But both of these men, Abraham and Isaac, had beautiful wives. Both of them lied, saying that their wife was their sister. And both are going to get rebuked by the pagan king Abimelech here, um, interestingly enough. So how did the king know Rebecca was Isaac's wife? If you've read this, this is, check this out, verse 8. It came to pass that when Isaac had been there, living there in that t for a long time, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, he's looking out his window one day and he saw, and there Isaac was showing endearment to Rebekah, his wife. Hmm, your sister. They're out making out underneath the window. And, and, and the king sees them doing that. And it's like... Wow, you don't do that kind of stuff with your sister. That's not your sister. I mean, you can just see the king. He, obviously, he's getting upset here. But this is kind of a funny story. I, again, I love how the Bible's real. The Bible's real. It's a real book about real people, about real things that happen. It's not a myth. It's not legend. It's not just stories that, that elevate the best characters, like a novel, fiction. No, we got real life here. 
<laughs> they're making out under the bush, and, and Abimelech sees them there. And if you, does anyone have a King James Bible in here? So we have a couple King James Bible. Let me read to you what it says in the King James. They're laughing because this is what it says in the King James. It's, it, it's really an interesting translation. It says that he looks out the window, and there is Isaac sporting with his wife, Rebecca. They're sporting. Hmm. <laughs> That's a new one, Esther. We no. <laughs> sporting with your wife. Howard Hendricks, if you've ever heard about Howard Hendricks or read anything from Howard Hendricks, pa- Pastor John um, Deming is a total fan of Howard Hendricks. He was a professor at Dallas Theological in the 60s, 70s, 80s, trained a lot of uh, Swindoll. A lot of uh, modern pastors went through his classes. He taught marriage, and he taught family, and he taught uh, uh, actually Old Testament Bible there at Dallas to these pastors. And this is what he said about this passage. He says, whatever this sport was, it's obvious that you don't play it with your sister. (laughs) So after Abimelech, he looks out his window and he sees the two making out. He knows, he knows that this is not Isaac's sister. So just like his father, Abraham, who actually did this twice, not the making out, but the lie, the lie, Isaac is caught there in the lie. And the result is a damaged reputation. He's a, a man of faith, trusting God, but he's lying in front of other people. Just think about how a lie that you tell, that when you get caught in it by the neighbor next door, the unbelieving person at work or someone at school, when they see you lie, you just you smear the name of God. You smear the, the name of Christ. It's very important for us to understand that, that we are ambassadors, that we're the ones that bring Christ to the world. I mean, it's the Holy Spirit that saves. God does the work. It's all his will. But we are representatives. What we say, what we do, how we live our lives really is very, very important. Young people, keep that in mind. You guys, you you know, sometimes you think that you're living uh, in a bubble, you have freedom and liberty, but listen, you've got people watching you. They're watching everything that you do, and you're an ambassador for the Lord here. So just like his father Abraham, he lies and damages or stains his reputation. And uh, I, I just, I think about, you know, what kind of message we're sending to people when we tell lies. When, we, when we're not praying or reading our Bible at home, what kind of message are we saying or sending to those? The bottom line is, is we all need to pray and we all need to ask the Lord to help us to be strong. It's so easy to lie, and, and Satan, boy, he puts it out like a mousetrap. He makes it, he makes it easy, but when you do it, snap. You know, it, it happens really quickly. And notice here in verse 9, then Abimelech, who saw them out in the garden there, he calls Isaac and he said, quite obviously she is your wife, so how could you say, why did you lie and say she is my sister? And Isaac said, because I said lest I die on her account. And Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the people in my kingdom here might soon have laid with your wife and you would have brought guilt on us all. So Abimelech charged his people, 
Hear ye, hear ye people. Don't touch that woman. She's married. Don't touch her. She's beautiful, but don't touch her. Don't go near her. He who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Interesting story, isn't it? Verse 12, we get to this next point, returning to the place of blessing. Then Isaac sowed in the land. So he's going to start living there on the land. He sowed on the land, and he reaped in the same year. But his, his bounty was, was insane, a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. There's that word three times. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and great numbers of servants. And the result was the Philistines that lived in the land, their animals were the same size. Their crops weren't growing. Can you imagine having a field right next to this guy that God's blessing? He goes out there, throws a few seeds, and there's trees grow and plants grow, and he's harvesting all these massive fruits. And then you've got your little crop there, and some of it's dead and, you know, little teeny. God's blessing him. That's the point here. Just like God had blessed his father, Abraham, the promised blessing is, is on his life now. And he's, the bounty is there, and it is, it, everything's growing, and he's making, he's very prosperous, as it says, over and over. So the question here is, right after this incident where he lies, he just lied. He lied to the king, and he got busted for that lie, and yet God still blessed him. Did, did you catch that? Do you have the question that I have? Why, why did God bless him immediately after he lied, sinned? Why did God do that? And I, I'm going to give you two answers here. Number one, this proves that God's promised blessing, his covenant on him, is based on, listen, grace, not works. The God that we know, the author of our Bible, the Holy Spirit, reveals a God that is immutable, meaning he never changes. Salvation is no different in the old and the new. You can argue little bits and pieces and jots and tittles, but it's the same. You come to faith, just like Abraham did. He put his faith in God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. I put my faith in Christ, God, and it's accounted to me as what? I become righteous. Same. And, and here... We have grace, grace working. Even though he was a lying scoundrel and didn't deserve a gift, God blesses him. Isn't that beautiful? Aren't you glad that God shows mercy and he's filled with grace? Aren't you glad? I mean, without that, you guys would be driving little, you know, VWs from 1965. Or maybe you'd like to drive one of those. I, I don't know. Your car would be all beat up and you wouldn't have work. And God blesses you with work. I was talking to a brother from the fellowship today that, that he's been praying. <laughs> he's been praying for a couple of years, and he's working so much right now. I mean, he's working like these 12 and 16-hour days. And he, I, I said, well, that's good. I mean, are, but are you making any money? He goes, oh, yeah, I'm making what play, more money than I deserve. And I said, well, you ask the Lord, and he's blessing you. He's, a, he's one of the brothers that, that is in the backgrounds in our, in our church. He, you, don't, you don't see him, but he's doing a whole bunch of stuff. He's spending hours a week and doing stuff. But he's given his life to the Lord, and he's asked the Lord, and then God just, you know, prosper, prosper, prosper. Why? Because God is gracious. 
And I'm so glad. So the first reason is, is God is gracious. And I love this verse. I use this verse all the time. Here it is behind me, Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his love toward us that while we were yet, what? Sinners. Christ died for us. He didn't die for you because you're good or you're nice. You don't go to heaven because you pleased God in this lifetime. You go to heaven because you put your faith in Christ. And God's demonstration of love is his grace. It has nothing to do with you. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. Unmerited favor. Secondly, secondly, the reason that, that God blesses Isaac immediately after he disobeyed the Lord was because of God blessing Isaac. It makes him, it, it makes them, you know, uh, these two. Um, oh, I just lost my thought here. I'm going to have to come back to that one. I, I really have a good thought there. I just can't remember it right now. But let, let me go back to the main point. The main point is God's working providentially. Obviously, he's working providentially here in his life. He is showing him over and over that he's leading. He's done that with Abraham, and now he's doing it with Isaac. And I'll, I'll remember my point. I'm sure I will here in a minute. But these people here, as we move into this next section, we're going to see these people do something here. They're going to be digging wells. They're going to be doing these different wells, and they're digging, and they're putting in things. And notice here in verse 15, the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which Isaac's father, Abraham's servants, had dug in the days of Abraham's father, and they filled them with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, you, you need to leave. You need to go away because you're bigger than ours. Your herds are bigger. Your needs are bigger. You... Yeah, God's prospering you, but your, your herds are drinking up the water. You're, you're ruining all our infrastructure here. You're not one of us. We need you just to go. So Isaac, he leaves. He departs, it says, from there, and he pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar, and he lived there. He dwelt there. Now, I've got a map here just to show you. Here's a little map. It shows you where... The, the, um, uh, Philistia is there along the Mediterranean Sea. You can see where Jerusalem is up there in the upper left-hand corner. And Gerar is where he is. Now, we're not sure exactly where he was. There's a city there, a village there where the king lived. There's, I just have a red dot. It's kind of in that area right there. But he's going to leave the, the local area, the village area. He's going to move away from there. And he goes down into a valley. We don't know how far he went. But he went far enough away that the first group of herdsmen, Philistine herdsmen, you know, he got out of their hair. He just moved and departed from there. So he leaves that area, and he goes down into another area. Now, remember, there's a famine, right? There's a famine in the land. So there's not a lot of water. He's got to find water for his herds. He's got to find water to grow crops. And uh, that's why I believe he tries to find and locate these wells that his father had dug. He was probably around his dad. He probably remembered, oh, we, didn't we dig a well over there? Let's go that way. I think we dug a, me and my dad dug a well over there. So they start looking at these wells, but they've been filled in with, with dirt. The Philistines filled in the wells. They didn't want other people to come and use their land. So they filled in all these different areas. And then notice verse 18. And Isaac dug again the wells of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham. 
Philistines stopped them up after the death of Abraham. He called them by the names which his father had called them. So he remembers where they were. Also, Isaac's servants dug in the valley. And when they dug there, they found a spring. Notice, a well of running water. That would have been really valuable. In the middle of a famine, these people are digging holes in the ground. You can look at maps and things, and I don't know, how many of you have a well in your backyard? And when I was a little kid, we used to dig a hole, and we'd get five feet down, and say, I can get to China. For, I can hear people in China from here. You remember doing that? If you know anybody that digs wells, you know, now we, we have machines, and they, they bore, 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 well, you know, hundreds of feet down to find water. These people were digging by hand, digging, 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 digging. And, you know, they would go 20 feet or 30 feet, and they have to go down in the hole and hoist the dirt out. I mean, it would take a long time, a huge investment to dig a well. So somebody buries it. That's, that's, that's a bummer. So they're digging these wells. They dig in this one place. Probably didn't dig very far, and they find this, this living water, or running water there, really important, valuable place, spring. And immediately, the Philistines, they're, they're all over them and say, you can't have that water. And again, Isaac's going to move on. Look at verse 20. But the herdsmen of Gerir quarreled. The Hebrew word ro'ob means to contend or to strive. So they come and they start, you know, they're going to start a riot there with him, with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, this is our water. So he called that name of the well Essek, which means contention, because they quarreled with him. Verse 21, then they dug another well. And then they quarreled over that one also. So he called that one Sitna, which means strife. Verse 22, and he moved from there and dug another well. Again, time, effort, work to dig these wells. And then the people, after the wells dug, then the Philistines show up and say, this is ours, get out of here. Kind of interesting. And Isaac, he's, he's, he's not challenging anybody. He's, okay. Come on, family, let's go. I mean, he had herds and people, hundreds, hundreds of people in his family. They all had to move again. I'm sure they weren't very happy with him um, either. But here's the point. Isaac, he's moving further and further and further away from the Philistines. God had separated the family from Isaac. Because of the famine, he moved closer to the city. God didn't want him there. So God is working providentially in his life to get him away, but he's got to go through all these steps and through this process as God's working now in his life. He's got to trust the Lord. Instead of fighting, he's, okay, I guess we need to move on now. And, and he's learning. He's learning to walk by faith. He's learning to trust in the Lord. I don't know how many of us would do, dig and work for weeks. And here we, now we have a water supply, and then somebody comes up and says, that's ours. He doesn't fight. He doesn't quarrel. I believe this kind of proves that, that Isaac is now trusting the Lord. He's learning a little bit more. But we do see a little bit of his father come out in him. Remember, both Isaac and his father um, needed wells. Abraham dug, dug, dug wells. He had the same problem. He'd dig a well and have the same kind of problem. So we're seeing the same kind of thing go on when Abraham dug wells. He had battles with his own nephew Lot. Remember, that's why they split to begin with. So again, we're seeing the same thing in father and son. But Isaac, like his father, he keeps the peace by just walking away. 
and he's, but he's moving. God's moving him. And now he's going to go up to the mountainside of Beersheba. My next point here, God reaffirms the covenant with him. In verse 23, notice, then he went up from there, because of the argument, to Beersheba. And the Lord appeared to him that same night. And he said to Isaac, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. Now, I'm going to go back to the map here so you can see. You can, Beersheba is down below. There's the, the Negev Desert down at the very, very bottom, right above that. That's Beersheba. So he's gone from Gerir. He's moved to the east, kind of south a little bit. And now he's in kind of the foothills there of this area, Beersheba. And if you remember, if you've studied here on Wednesday night, you'll, you'll recall that name, Beersheba, because Beersheba is the first place that Abraham and Isaac went together after chapter 22, after the, the sacrifice. They went from Mount Moriah, where Jerusalem is up there in the north, and they came to Beersheba. That's where they, they ended up going there. Let me show you that really quick. Genesis twenty two nineteen. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they rose and they went together to, notice, Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt there. So Isaac's being pushed with his family, he's pushed through these different places because of the well digging, moving, moving, moving. And finally... God leads him back to the place that he's been before. He's familiar with this place. He's been there with his dad. He knows about Beersheba, and he ends up going to the same place. I, I'm sure that he also remembered because his father, this was the highlight of his father's life, where his father obeyed, surrendered, uh, the sacrifice on Mount Moriah, and then together they're joyful, they're happy. Abraham must have been, he couldn't have been happier in his life. He's got a son. His son didn't die, and now they're going to go together. He's just filled with the joy of the Lord, and they go to Beersheba. So Isaac remembers this place. This is a cool place, me and my dad. You know, we hung out here, and that's where they end up in Beersheba. And uh, again, I believe he remembered that place, and it's showing that God is guiding, and there's providential work of God here. Uh, Isaac's being faithful. He's growing in his faith. He's trusting in the Lord, and he returns now to this place of blessing, and that's where God appears to him again. So this is the second time that God appears to Isaac, and he reassures him, this is where I want you to be, this is, you're, you're, I'm giving you the blessing that I gave your father, and, uh, and so he's, he's finally in that place. Verse 25, so he built an altar there. I love what he does. He builds an altar called on the name of the Lord, pitched his tent, built his home, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. Now, this is kind of in reverse order. In all of these other places he's been to, what's the first thing he's done? He digs a well. But now he gets to this place where God has providentially led him, and what's the last thing he does? Digs a well. There's no account of him worshiping, thanking, encountering God in these other places he's been. But he's learning. He's learning because he gets to this place, and look what he does first. It says here that he builds an altar. He calls on the name of the Lord. And so here's a really great um, 
lesson here for you and I, even tonight. The lesson is, is when God prospers you, you need to worship him. It's not about your job. It's not about your money. God is the one that gives it to you, and God is the one that can take it all away. It's better to just live in the joy of the Lord and let God bless or prosper in whatever way he desires. But instead of building your house and, and pitching a tent and digging a well and doing the material thing first, we need to do what Isaac learned, and that's do the spiritual thing first. Thank God. Worship the Lord. Put God first in your week. I believe God should be first in your week. And I believe you do that. See, you're here on Wednesday night, so you're doing that. It's so important that we do that, that we understand that, that worshiping the Lord is more important than any material need that we had. Someone said this. I have this quote up here for you. The place for God's people is the place of God's presence. I like that. We need to be in the presence of the Lord. We need to be where he is. In other words, it's more important for us to be in that place of worship and communion and commitment and service. That's more important than our physical wants. Well, I want to go on vacation, or I want to do this, or I want, you know, no, we need to put the Lord first. This is the word of the Lord, church. Listen and obey. Because if you do, God will bless you. He'll bless you because he's gracious and merciful, but he'll bless you because you're obedient. I, I love that truth there. And isn't it kind of like what Jesus said? I love this quote here. You know this by heart. It's Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and what? What is all these things? What are they? All the material things, all the needs that you have, food, clothes, work, but I got to get a job where I can worship God. I have to get a job. No, just worship the Lord and trust in him. And as you trust in him, he'll provide for you. Do you live this way? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Do you live this way? I mean, think about this. Pastor, quit sticking your finger in my face. I'm just reading. I'm just the messenger boy. That's all I am. Seek first the kingdom of God. And, and guess what? I had fingers in my face, too, when I was studying this, so you get to have one tonight. <laughs> Isaac, Isaac went back to the place where God wanted him to be, and now he's going to stay there. I love this. Now, my next point here, notice because of, of what Isaac finds. He finds peace with the Philistines. This is very interesting. Verse 26, then Abimelech came to him. So after Moving, moving, moving. Abimelech's watching this. He's getting reports back from the herdsmen. Is he moved out? Is he gone? And they keep coming back. God just blessed him again. Oh, brother. Chase him out of that area too. And they come back a month later. Yeah, we ran him. We filled up the holes and we ran him out again. But God blessed him again. It's insane. Wow. Abimelech finally gets it. Abimelech comes to him, verse 26, from Gerir with this... Um, one of his princes here, Azath, one of his friends, and Pekol, the commander of his army. And Isaac said to them, why have you come to me? Since you hate me, you kicked me out of the country. But they said, we have certainly seen, notice what they see in him, that the Lord is with you. So we said, 
let there now be an oath between us. We don't want to come up against you. We're seeing God prosper you, and we think that there's something supernatural here, that the Lord is with you. So we want to make a covenant with you, verse 19, that you will do us no harm since we have not touched you and since we have not done anything to you but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. This is a pagan king. Listen, you do not know how God can use your life. When you live righteously, when you live for the Lord, when you stand for Jesus Christ, God can use you, he'll bless you, and other people will notice. You don't think they notice. They notice. Just like this pagan king noticed. And I believe it's, it's up to us to, to live a sanctified life, a separate life from the world. We, we need to stand up for the Lord. We need to live our life by faith. And other people will notice too. Then, verse 31, they arose early in the morning. Or I guess I missed verse 30. They, they made a feast and they ate and drank. So this was the way they, uh, the, Abimelech was making this, this kind of compact with him, a peace accord with them. Then they arose early in the morning and swore an oath with one another. And Isaac sent them away and they departed from him in peace. Again, the pagan king recognizes that God was blessing Isaac's life. I, I love what the psalmist says, that the righteous man doesn't sit in the, stand in the way of sinners, sit in the seat of scornful, Psalm 1, but he delights in the law of the Lord night and day. And then I, I just, verse 3 here, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit and season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall what? Prosper. Trusting in the Lord, remaining in his word, being faithful to God. What, the, the wonderful blessings that come from obedience. So this is showing his life kind of in a nutshell because we're going to move from his life to Jacob. But, but Isaac, just an ordinary man, and God uses him in an extraordinary way. He's growing in his faith. He, he's like his dad. He's told some lies, but, and, but God has blessed him just like his dad. And now he has this, my next point here, a new well of water, verse 32. It came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him about the well, which they had dug, and said to him, we have found water. So he called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. Interesting how God has done that. God provides for him again. They found the water that they needed for all their herds to be prosperous, to grow you know, food for their livestock and for their families. And then the chapter kind of closes with, meanwhile, back in Esau's life, <laughs> notice here, when Esau was 40 years old, he took his wives. Notice where he got his wife here. This was totally forbidden. Judith, the daughter of Beri, the Hittite, and Bazemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. So he took wives from Canaan, forbidden. His dad would have told him, or grandpa would have told him, and his dad would have told him. And he takes wives, and they were a grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah. Isaac was learning. He's walking by faith. He's trusting in the Lord. 
And then we get this little side note about Esau. Now we're going to kind of move into Jacob uh, as we move into the further chapters here. But what do we learn from this? Real quick, just some quick application. Our life has impact in the people around us. It can either be positive or negative. If I'm trusting in the Lord, if I'm obeying the Lord, not lying like this man, if I'm, if I'm worshiping the Lord rather than putting all my emphasis on me, myself, and my riches and my material things, if I'm seeking first the kingdom of God, then God's going to provide. He's going to provide all these things that I need, all the things that you need come from his hand. But if you lie, if you don't separate yourself, God is going to, like he did oftentimes with his own children, the children of Israel, later in the, the prophets prove it, he chastised his people. He, he dealt with his people. The second lesson that we learn here is, although Isaac makes mistakes, his mistakes didn't disqualify him. And that's a, I, I love that. I think I identify with Isaac in some ways as well because I make mistakes and God's blessings are God's grace. God's gracious. If you've made a mistake, you need to just confess that to the Lord. 1 John 1, 9. He's faithful to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. You just confess it. You just say the same thing about your sin that God says. Admit it. Say, Father, forgive me, and you can move right back into that glorious, joy-filled place where God's forgiven you, even if you've made mistakes. And I love that about this man. He's not disqualified because he made a mistake. Throughout the Scripture, we're reminded in the Old and the New Testament of these three men, Abraham, Isaac, and who? Jacob, over and over and over, you'll see their names together. These are men of faith. Yes, they stumbled. Yes, they had problems, but they were never disqualified because they had a mighty God. Amen? Father, thank you for the word tonight. Thank you for the teaching and, and the application that comes from your word. I just praise you, Lord, for your goodness and your grace. And thank you, God, that as your people, you have given us this sure word for us to learn and to grow. You've recorded these stories for us, these true stories about these real men, so that we might learn, so that we might not make the same mistakes. And Father, I just pray for any here tonight. Maybe they made a mistake today or this week or something that's, that's in their heart or mind right now, a lie that they told. And boy, do they know it right now. Lord, your Holy Spirit is, is on them like a hound dog. I just pray, Lord, that we as your people would repent, that we would confess. And as we do that, we trust, Lord. As we confess our sin, we know that you're faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. Thank you, Lord, for not disqualifying us. Thank you for your grace and your mercy, not only in Isaac's life, but in ours. We love you, and we thank you in Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together.